Hello, I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Addo Jr. on the Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Live on radio, live online. This is the locker room on Joy 99.7 FM with George Adu Jr. Very good evening to you wherever you find yourself. Time for the locker room. Enjoy 99.7 FM. We're crowning champions, perhaps, in England and in Germany. Very much on the cards this weekend. Yeah, the top four races around Europe as well are getting keener. We are on the circuit in Spain as we bring you the Spanish Grand Prix. Around the country in Ghana, there's Ghana Premier League to look forward to. Match Day 23 that has started with some kind of energy in Texas. There's a big bout between Saul Canelo Alvarez and Billy Saunders and there's tennis news for you as well on the show from the ongoing Madrid Open up on our screens here on the locker room but there's always just one place to begin uh, this evening we have to start on the pugilistic note and there's a big boxing bout to look forward to Saturday night at the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Boxing's biggest star, Saul Canelo Alvarez, seeks to add the WBO super middleweight belt to his ring magazine, WBA, WBC titles. He already owns in an intriguing 12-stone unification bout with the unbeaten British counterpart, Billy Joe Saunders. Now, that's a special one to look forward to. Ladies and gentlemen, after 12 rounds of action here in San Antonio, we go to the judges' scorecards. Steve Weisfeld and Rafael Ramos both scored about 119 to 109. Steve Morrow scored this contest 117 to 111. All three for your winner by 
unanimous decision. Side, Marcus McDonald scores the bounce 113 to 113, even a draw. Overruled by Judge Phil Edwards, who scores the bounce 114 to 112, and Dave Paris, who sees it 115 to 111, in favor of the winner by majority decision, and the new. Battle lines are drawn. We've got some 10 minutes to talk boxing. Joining me in studio, Hans Mensa Ando, my colleague. And of course, Nathaniel Arthur joining us as well in studio. Nat, how are you doing this evening? Oh, okay, we can hear Nat on his microphone, right? Let's try and sort that out. Of course, Hans is joining me in studio as well. Let's see if we've got the microphones right. The connection is good. Hans, how are you feeling this evening? I'm good, George. Can you hear me? Yeah, that's good. That that's good. Care. That's good. And uh, let's see if we can hear from the ring announcer as well. Great Nat? to be here. Great All to be right. Here, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff, guys. Yeah. So it's a special one to look forward to. And we'll have to preview this in the next 10 minutes. Plus, Nat, you tell me about what's happening elsewhere, you know, in the boxing world. Let me start with you, Hans. Yes. I think we all know a lot about Saul Canelo Alvarez. But hey, let's talk about the Brits who is unbeaten. You know, yeah, everyone has been talking about Billy, you know, Saunders. Who, who is this guy? Who is this guy for those who are listening to us uh, and, and, and having to hear this name? And I've not quite been following that in the boxing world. Who is this guy and why is this belt that big, Hans? Well, Billy Joe Saunders. I mean, um, you know, the, the British media will make a lot, a lot of noise about you when. Um, you're able to achieve certain feats. Even before he became the WBO's middleweight champion, um, there was a lot of buzz about him. You know, um, We've seen quite a number of British boxers, and they are very often direct. Mm. You know, um, They are not complex, if you like. I don't want to use the word basic uh, because we've also seen a number of British boxers who are quite effective. Let me say efficient. You know, mm. They just get the job done. Um, Billy Joe Saunders is a bit more exciting than the average British boxer that you're going to see. Mm. He's a bit more complex. And, uh, you know, that probably um, is evident in the fact that he's a southpaw. Okay. Okay. And so um, you've, you've got to think a bit when you come up against him. You know, and that is what gets people quite excited and, and people believing that he's the man who um, can as of this moment, mm. um, dethrone the best, possibly the best boxer in the world. I mean, I, mm. it, it, people have their own arguments, but as of this moment, yeah. it's difficult to really argue the fact that Saul Canelo Alvarez is a man who was taking over from, from Floyd Money Mayweather. Mm. Hey, Hans, let me stick with you. Is he getting old? Billy Joe? No, I'm talking about uh, Canelo Alvarez. Is he getting old? Yeah. He's... He's in his prime. Yeah. You know, let me put it that way. Look, <laughs> um, I saw in 2013 when Canelo fought against Floyd Mayweather. Mm. He was young. He was inexperienced. Um, there were flaws in his game. 
you know, from 2013 to 2021 is, is what? How many years? Oh, 2013, 2021. You're doing some eight years, eh? Eight, nine years? Yeah, eight, sort nine of. Yeah. You look at him and it's difficult to pinpoint a flaw hmm. in his game. Defensively, he's solid. Attacking-wise, he looks patient. He picks his shot. Hmm. And he hits really, really hard. <laughs> you know, and so he's, he's become well-rounded. If you sit down and you are the man going to face Saul Alvarez and you have to come up with a game plan. I don't think your game plan will be based off a weakness that you can spot. Mm-hmm. I think that the game plan will be about what strength do you have that you can use to your own advantage mm-hmm. rather than what weaknesses does he have because it's difficult to find any weaknesses yeah, in, in his repertoire at this, at this moment in mm-hmm. time. He's not getting old. He's at the top of his game. Yeah. You know, I've seen a very interesting mythical matchup that somebody mm. threw up on Twitter. Mm. That if this is Canelo Alvarez in his prime, mm. if we paired him against Floyd Mayweather, also in his prime, mm. what sort of matchup were we going to have? Mm. And even I did not dare mm. try to engage in that conversation because it's very, very difficult at this moment in time. He is he's a best solid, boxer, very, very rounded, and so you are looking at a boxer in his prime rather than a boxer who. Is getting old. Right. There, is, there is no conversation about him getting old. He's simply the guy on top of his game, right? You know, Nat. I know sometimes the boxing nights are made for these surprising uh, uh, results. Uh, do we stand a chance? We have seen top boxers in form and you know having a bad night and uh, walking into a kind of punch and everything. I mean, do we stand any chance at all? Anything can happen in the sport of boxing. Uh, having said that, however, um, you're looking at of a Canelo Alvarez who has managed to defeat everybody who is relevant mm. within the weight division yeah. in his prime but Floyd Mayweather Jr. Now I would have, you know, I would have made room for, you know, for the surprises that we're talking about. Mm. But at the end of the day, um Hans has ma- uh, you know, Hans has made mention of certain key attributes that he has coming into the ring. And these are very strong points. One other thing that we should also know when it comes to his defense is that he has fantastic head movement. And I think that just like um, someone would want to propose that we go and learn Beckhamnology on the football (laughs) page and how to convert (laughs) spot kicks. Canology, I guess. Yeah, Beckhamnology. And how to convert, you know, uh, set pieces and all of that. Then we can also go to Saul Canelo Alvarez to study the art of head movement, Mm. which helps you a great deal when it comes to your defenses. Of course... We cannot also overlook Floyd Mayweather Jr. when it comes to the art of defense. Now, um, I still want to stick my neck out for Canelo Alvarez because mm. I believe very much that this is his time. Yeah. He's worked his socks off for this. Mm. And I do not see Billy Joe Saunders creating the kind of trouble that can get him off and uh, rule him out of the bout. Right. Even though um, we've seen very big surprises. Yeah. In, in, in the sport of boxing. I mean, mm. we saw Timothy Bradley do it against uh, Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. We saw Hasim Rahman do it against uh, Lennox you Lewis. Know, uh, Lennox Lennox Lewis. Lewis yeah. And the list goes on and on and on. Mm. And recently, Andy Ruiz also pulled one against <laughs> Anthony <laughs> Joshua. Yeah. So when you're putting all of that at the back of your mind, you'd want to know. But for me, for the yeah. very first time, I would just want to stick my neck out for, um, you know, for Canelo. Saul Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. And of course, 
if Billy Joe Saunders is able to pu- pull that off, I mean, the <laughs> Ring magazine straight up will, will, you know, will name him the upset of the year. Here's the magnitude of the task okay, for Billy yeah, Joe Saunders. Yeah, yeah. When he come up against a boxer who has fought welterweight, super welterweight, mm. middleweight, super middleweight, stepped up to light heavyweight and knocked down the champion to take his title. <laughs> you have to understand that size is not even going to help you. Yeah. You know, and so that is what makes it difficult. If there is going to be an element of surprise, it will probably come in the fact that Billy Joe is a southpaw. Mm. It will come in the fact that he's a bit complex as a boxer. Mm. Um, in the fact that he's not as direct as a lot of the English boxers that we've seen. That he can punch at all odd angles. Yeah. Those sort of things. Mm. But just in terms of pure technical ability, and 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 Nat has mentioned Canelo's head movement. Yeah. If you go back to the fight against Floyd, Mayweather picked him apart. Like it, it, he, he made him look so amateurish, it, it wasn't even funny. Mm. And then you look at him now and see just how solid he's become defensively. You know, when he has to employ a high guard, he's employing it. When he has to move his head. I mean, against Daniel Daniel Jacobs, he threw about five punches and the guy kept moving his head and he missed all of all those punches. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's even become difficult to 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 connect yeah. when you have the power to mm. be able to upset him. Mm. So that is the difficulty. Will he be able to go around his defense Will he be able to find enough power to be able to knock him out? Because physically, he's in top shape. <laughs> you know, mentally, I don't think that... <laughs> that <laughs> there, there, he's he's no trying to play a few mind games yeah. with him. But look, he's not getting through. He's, he's wasting gonna, his time yeah. on that I'm gonna score. Do, I'm going to do an 80-20. Wow. And just say that he's going straight. Okay, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so straight away, you guys have called it for Canelo. No, uh, I, 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 no doubt. I think no, no. I'm also giving it to Canelo. For, for, for Canelo. I, well, what was that? What's that probability? I'm, I'm, 70, ready, for me, I'm ready to come and eat humble tilapia. <laughs> the, the, the thing is this. The thing about Canelo also is yeah. this. Look, it's like he took all the lessons in that Mayweather fight mm-hmm. and he's consumed all of it and employs every single one of it in his right. fight. He doesn't go looking for knockout. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. And, and he doesn't... Yeah. Even though he has the power to knock people out, he doesn't really go looking for the knockout. He's become so confident he can win on the scorecards. He doesn't mind going the distance with you. Hmm. He fought twice against Golovkin. Yeah. And you could tell that he has the power to be able to knock him out. But he went the full distance with the guy. Look, yeah. how many boxers are able to absorb the kind of punches that Golovkin, you know, throws at you? But he did that 12 rounds in two different fights. So it's hands down. It tells you physically he's in top shape. You mm. cannot break him down physically. Mentally, you can't break him down. So how are you going to break him down, really? No, no point. In 58 fights, yeah. he's won 55, right. lost only one, mm. and drawn two. Good. And that one that Hans talks about is a blot that he'll always cry about in his heart. Because by now, nobody probably would have been talking about Floyd Mayweather Jr., but Canelo, the red-haired man. Okay, good. Good good preview on that one. Just got two minutes to end this one. Now, tell me, um, what are some of the things you want us to pick on? I mean, are you, are you have been picking on in, in yeah, a world boxing? I'm, I'm a little concerned yes. about Floyd Mayweather Jr. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to see him <laughs> engage too much in all of these exhibition fights. Look, yeah. 
um, as far as we're all concerned, his, uh, you know, his six digits uh, figures are still very intact. Mm. Um, he's not the kind who will, um, you know, engage in, in drug use and, and squander all of his money just like that. Um, he has a certain sense of discipline and work ethic, which helped him in his boxing career. I believe that sometimes when you retire and you're healthy and all is going well, you have the money and you don't have any dreams anymore when it comes to the beautiful things of life. You decide to get into some of these, uh, you know, endeavors mm. like this one that's coming up against Logan Paul. Mm. I mean, clearly, this is something for the Internet. This is something for uh, the digital age, something for people to just be excited about so we can rack up some numbers and put some more money in the bank account. But like I said, what is important here is that today's today's um, you know um, incident was very very unfortunate, yeah. and every boxer who's gotten angry with these kinds of uh, uh, you know humor, you know trying to poke humor at them, um, is somebody who is matured. I'll give you a quick example. Ike Bazooka Kwate had a conversation with me years ago when he was staging his comeback, and he said to me that not at this age and at this stage of my life, I'm not a hungry boxer myself, Shane Mosley Jr. and the rest of them were very comfortable. Felix Trinidad were all very comfortable. So uh, we're not going to go into news conferences and have our opponents uh, come and spit at us. We're not going to go into fights with the likes of Ricardo Mayoga who will finish the bout, have a cigar lighted for him and you puff the smoke on your face. All of these things get to these people. Mm. And you see, all these things when it comes to their psyche and the way they react to situations comes with the experience it comes with a pedigree and it comes with the space hmm. so um for logan paul's younger brother to jake, have come and, jake paul, uh, jake yeah. paul to have come to pick uh, the hat off him I, I thought it was very you know and i mean when we're talking boxing who are the jake pauls i mean jake paul is somebody who just has three fights for crying out loud he hasn't seen anything close to the, what the, Floyd the, 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 has seen the, in there's the, a new trend the emerging where yeah. these you know, youtubers suddenly because of their following, you know, in the virtual world, they are translating it into, you know, real numbers when mm. it comes to boxing. So, we first saw KSI versus Logan Paul. Yeah. We saw two fights, as a matter of fact. Mm. And then his brother also jumps into the free. Look, for me, my only worry is that for somebody like Floyd, mm. these boys are not even fit to carry his gloves. Yeah. You know, and so, for Jake Paul to poke fun at Floyd Mayweather it's, it's a bit worrying for me <laughs> look three fights he's fought against um, Askren Askren is an, it's, it's a UFC fighter retired <laughs> he's fought against a basketball player a former basketball player you know and, and, and some other Asian fight kid that he saw off in a few seconds yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that probably is a worrying part but if he has to enter the ring with Floyd to be taught a lesson I'm all for it. I don't think that this guy is going to lay a glove on Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> right, you know? right, so right. In right. that sense, yes. But it's a bit worrying. I think that there's a, there's a line that this shouldn't cross. Yeah. And I hope that at some point Floyd will realize that mm. he has a legacy to protect and not go beyond that line. I had no problem when he fought that Japanese kid because, you know, the, the Japanese are very respectful people, you know. But these kids roaming on the streets of the United States and the UK, you don't allow them. But they don't I, give a hoot. Right, you give, right. A, give them an inch, they'll take a yard. Good afternoon. Thank you guys uh, for joining me. Special uh, boxing preview as we look forward to uh, Saunders up against uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez, Nathaniel Ato, and Hans Mensa. And always great to have you guys talking the boxing. And we will move away from...
uh, a sub, I mean, from this one to a subject that later tomorrow uh, on uh, Sports Link, Nathaniel Alto will be talking about this Formula One to look forward to. Definitely, we are heading straight to Spain. Oh, uh, let me say we're in Spain because, yeah, we've seen two practices already. Now, time to talk the Formula One. both getting it away well. Perez got the best start and he's already got the Ferrari alongside him and ahead as Bottas goes into turn one in the lead from Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. Then comes Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez. Behind them, Lando Norris is ahead of Esteban Ocon. Also on the soft tyre for the McLaren runner and they're just finding their way around turn three. No contact so far. Bottas getting away well. Perez definitely struggling for grip there with the medium compound tyre coming at him under braking. Watch Esteban Ocon of Lando Norris. There's a big lock up there. I think it might have been his teammate, Fernando Alonso. Look at that. That's a decent lead from Valtteri Bottas, isn't it? And uh, Max Verstappen, I think, will be quite pleased to have at least just... First three Portuguese Grand Prix won by Racing Knights. And Sir Lewis Hamilton's been night and day ahead of the rest here in Portimao this afternoon. He wins the Portuguese Grand Prix. Max Verstappen is battling for the fastest lap of the race to add to the 18 points that he's going to pick up for second place. Hamilton will increase his lead at the top of the championship. Hamilton led a Mercedes 1-2 in the second practice of the Spanish Grand Prix as Max Verstappen failed to set a representative lap time. Hamilton was 0.139 seconds faster than his teammate Valtteri Bottas with uh, Ferrari Charles Leclerc, of course, you know, in third. Verstappen made an error in his qualifying simulation run on the soft tyres and ended ninth with a time set on medium tyres early in the session. So the Alpine C, Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso were fourth and fifth. Very special Grand Prix building up then. Joining me for some analysis, Raymond Yamada, our Formula One expert. Raymond, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm really good. I'm really good. Uh, I don't know if you've been taking notes of practice uh, so far. Does it really indicate that there's something special for us, you know, the Spanish Grand Prix tomorrow? I mean, on Sunday? Well, George, um, there's always the saying that practice never really tells the true picture when it comes to race day itself or when it comes to qualifying. And looking at what's going on today, you could always tell that there's an indication that Mercedes have a lot in their tank to deliver this weekend. You can also conclude that Ferrari are beginning you know, to get into the numbers there. Ferrari are beginning to do something really special. And so they're also a team you should look out for. For Red Bull, their struggles in practice um, shouldn't be something we should take too serious. I think that Cambridge Day, they will definitely be one of the teams that would be in the running for the, 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 the win. And so I think that what happened in practice is exciting, but Mercedes have clearly shown mm. the way. Ferrari are showing glimpses of brilliance, and you could always expect Red Bull to come back good. Yeah, of course, Ray, let's talk about you know our preview. Let's, let's, let's dive into the preview proper. And yeah, McLaren share the second most wins in Spain you know with Mercedes and, and these days with what we've seen and, and the kind of season we've gone in you know London Norris placing third in the Mola finished fifth in Portugal you know with McLaren's history of the track I mean, do you fancy seeing Norris disrupting the podium rankings that we have gotten so used to seeing 
Well, George, I think that is has given a good account of himself this season, um, finishing fourth in, Bar- in Bahrain, third in, in Imola, finishing fifth in Portimao, just like you said. I think that, you know, he's his, his been one of those drivers who has actually grown in confidence and grown in stature. But you look at McLaren and their dominant years, and we'll go back to the early 90s and then the mid-2000s where... You know, one man, uh, they had two Finnish drivers who were on top of their game. You talk about Mika Hakkinen, uh, who won in 98, 99, and 2000 at the Spanish Grand Prix. And then you talk about Kimi Raikkonen, who won in 2005. These were drivers who, you know, clearly dominated for McLaren. But times have changed. Engines have changed. Power, power systems or power units have changed. And so, you know, a lot has changed as far as um, Mercedes or uh, McLaren is concerned. And you look at their, their lineup today, you talk about... Uh, Ricciardo and Lando Norris, these are drivers who themselves, you know, have shown a lot of brilliance on the circuit. You talk about Ricciardo who drove for Renault last season. He showed a lot of brilliance. He has a lot of experience. But I think that, you know, asking Lando Norris um, to go in there and disrupt the, the, the podium, I think it would be too much to ask for. I think he's gradually building himself up to be one of those drivers who would be you know, part of the next generation of drivers who will be competing for Formula 1 titles. I think that it's too early to ask him to go out there you know, in Spain and deliver for McLaren. So um, I would easily write him off, uh, looking at what's happened even in practice. He hasn't fared too well in practice, in second practice, finished 12. And so clearly, I, I don't think that Lando Norris has what it takes to actually, you know, break into, you know, the top three uh, this season. That's why the fact that he's doing so well, uh, as far as picking up points is concerned. He's currently displaced Ferrari, and instead, when it comes to the leaderboard, I still think that picking up points, yes, but um, winning races and disrupting the podium, I don't think that Lando Norris is there yet. It's an interesting season, like just I, I, I did note, and, and you've made the point there. We'll get on to your predictions for podium, all right? But we know that Hamilton showed class once again, you know, at Portimao, confidently seeing out a position from his teammate Valtteri Bottas and uh, the Hanson Verstappen. Good to use that word, Hanson Verstappen. Now, with the pace of a Red Bull, obviously, being that trump card... How can they now work against the brilliance of Hamilton? Because he's not supposed to be standing a chance, but here he is, almost being the guy uh, to talk about in every race. Well, Lewis Hamilton, without doubt, is, you know, your man to win every race. And you look at that table, you look at the, the teams that are driving, you look at the 20 drivers, and, you know, that's one man who stands out tall. It's Lewis Hamilton. In terms of experience, in terms of composure, in terms of hunger, in terms of his ability to, you know, perform magic, or pull the chestnut out of the blazing fire. He's that one man who can get all that done for you. And you look at um, Verstappen, he's one driver who's actually, you know, learned from the mistakes he's done in seasons past and tried to correct his mistakes and try to be that driver that we all expected him to be after showing a lot of promise. And so I think that you look at the pace of Red Bull and a lot of concerns have come in as far as this particular race is concerned. We have been told that Barcelona is going to be extremely hot, so it's going to take a toll on the ties. And that's where Red Bull do have a lot of you know, advantage when it comes to their tights, which compounds to use, uh, which tights to use on, on race days. And so Mercedes themselves have admitted that they could struggle as far as the tights are concerned because the earlier races that they went through were, a bit, were, you know, were, were done in colder environments. And so, you know, you look at all those dynamics and you can say, depending on how Mercedes play their cards on race day, um, you, could, you could see them given the chance to Verstappen and his teammate signs to actually, you know, you know, cause damage um, as far as things, uh, mm. sorry, uh, Sergio Perez, Sergio Perez, yeah. you know, as far as things are concerned. And so it, it's looking very tricky. But George, you look at Lewis Hamilton and what he's done in Spain. He's actually won there on five occasions. He's on a four, 
you know, he, he's actually won four in a row. He won in 2017, won in 2018, won in 2019, won in 2020. This is the man who understands that circuit very well. And so if you, if, if, if you want someone to challenge him, then the person must actually be really on top of his game. And the only way Lewis Hamilton may not be able to win is he's self-destruct. And earlier this season, the only way he failed to win, he actually crashed into... Um, he, he actually crashed, had to reverse and jump back into the race. That he even, even in that race, he managed to finish second and set the, the time for the fastest lap. And so I think that if he doesn't self-destruct, I don't see how um, Max Verstappen is going to unsettle right. him or is going to beat him in this particular race. Right, Raymond, then end with your predictions for podium then already. It's currently 2-1, to one, you know, to Hamilton and, uh, Hamilton and Mercedes against Verstappen and Red Bull. What are you expecting this weekend? It's difficult to see a different winner than Lewis Hamilton this weekend. It's very difficult, George. And I say that because of um, his experience on that circuit. Like I said, uh, his aiming to equal Michael Schumacher's record of six wins in Spain. And so, you know, that clearly is good motivation for him to go into the race and dominate the race. I think that we are going to look at the two drivers um, who would actually follow suit. We are looking at Valtteri Bottas and we are also looking at Max Verstappen. And I think we are looking at what Charlie Leclerc has done. I think that Charlie Leclerc is also one driver that we should also consider going into this race. So I think that um, we may just see Mercedes dominate this race and we may see Max Verstappen also, you know, finish on the podium. So I think that we'll see a Mercedes one too. I think that uh, this is one of those races we could finally see Lewis Hamilton go head-to-head with Valtteri Bottas and not uh, Max Verstappen this weekend. And so one, two, the one, two for Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas, and I think that Max Verstappen will come in there. And I'm seeing Ferrari uh, finishing in fourth. Uh, Charles Leclerc should have a good race in this particular one. Raymond Nyamada, as always, thank you very much. We look forward to the Spanish Grand Prix on Sunday. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. And our practice come tomorrow as well. But it's great to always hear from you and put your mind through it. So, Formula One action there for you. There's Ghana Premier League action to come. We'll get on to that in a bit now, though. We have to quick, quickly dash to London and bring you the Joy Sports BBC two-way series. I've been having a great chat with the BBC's John Bennett. Okay, so, so much to talk about, including Chelsea making it to the Champions League final. There's an all-English final. All-English Champions League final. <laughs> and now the English want to have the Champions League final in England. Let's enjoy the Joy Sports two-way series. I'll be back with more. Thanks, John, for your time on the show, as always. And and an all-English Champions League final, as we guessed last week, John. Manchester City fans were interviewed right before the Chelsea game with Madrid and confessed they did not want to face Chelsea in the final. We already saw Chelsea beat City in the FA Cup semi-final, but City are simply flashy at their best. So who goes into this final? Ask the underdog. Hello, George. Congratulations to your Chelsea team for reaching the Champions League final. Well-deserved. Um, I think they will be the underdogs in the final. Uh, don't get me wrong, though. I, I think it's going to be a close game. But, of course, we have to look at the Premier League table, which doesn't lie. Manchester City are well clear of Chelsea. 
Uh, it'll be interesting next season, Thomas Tuchel having a full pre-season, full season to put forward his ideas, whether he can get closer to Manchester City. But on paper, City are the better team. It's a one-off game, though. It's a one-off cup game. And of course, we know that a month ago, uh, it was Chelsea who beat Manchester City in the FA Cup semi-final. So in a one-off game, I think they can cause Manchester City problems certainly cause them problems because they're so difficult to break down. The clean sheets that Thomas Tuchel has kept in the Premier League, I think it's 11 in 15 games, which is a record for the first 15 games of a Premier League manager. So Manchester City will find it very, very difficult to break Chelsea down. So although Chelsea will start as the, as the underdogs, this will be a really close Champions League final in Istanbul. Well, John, after confirming their sports in the final, Manchester City and Chelsea face off in the Premier League on Saturday. What should we expect? Will both managers look to play more pragmatically in order not to give away too much ahead of the final? It's a really interesting question, George. Listen, I, I think these two managers are winners. They can't go into the game thinking that we, you know, I'm going to do something a bit different here to put off my opponent or to try and second-guess my opponent. They just want to try and win the game. Manchester City know that if they win, they secure the Premier League title. For Chelsea, it's a massive game as they try to get into the top four. So I think they will just be looking at this game as an isolated match rather than looking at it in the context of the Champions League final coming up. Uh, as a game to watch, I actually don't think it'll be that entertaining. We saw the FA Cup semi-final wasn't a great watch because both teams, although they have fantastic entertaining players and they try to play football the right way, they might end up cancelling each other out because they have fantastic defences. So I, I don't think any of them will be looking to land a psychological blow ahead of the Champions League final. They'll just go into this game to win it because for Man City, it's important to secure the title. For Chelsea, it's massive to get into the Champions League next season. Real Madrid were totally dominated by Chelsea and Ingolo Kante, who was instrumental in both Chelsea goals of the return leg. He's already won Europa League, he's won a Premier League title and an FA Cup in four years at the club. Should he finish this year for the Champions League in another FA Cup? Where does he rank on the list of all-time midfield greats? Yeah, for me, he's an all-time great, Angolo Kante. Um, for, for me, he would get into... Uh, if you ask me to name a Premier League all-time 11, I'm putting Angolo Kante in there because I've never seen anything like him before. And listen, I'll put my cards on the table. I have an emotional attachment because... Um, I My team growing up was Leicester City. He played for Leicester City in that amazing season when Leicester won the title. And I remember seeing him on his debut for Leicester when he played against Bury, a team that don't exist anymore uh, because they went bust. But this was in the League Cup. And N'Golo Kante played left midfield. And I was at the game as a fan. I remember lo looking over to my brother. I was standing with my brother in the crowd thinking... This guy is unbelievable. And he was playing left wing, but he was popping up all over the pitch. And, of course, the rest of his history. He's had an amazing career. When you think about the fact that he didn't play in a top-flight league until he was 23, he's now won the World Cup. He's been to a European Championship final. He's won the Premier League on multiple occasions. Now he's a Champions League finalist. For me, he's an all-time great because I don't think we'll see the likes of him ever again. I've never seen a player like him with that energy. He's compared to Claude Makélélé, isn't he, who was a wonderful player. But I think he has a little bit extra as well than Claude Makélélé had. We, we, he's not just about breaking up play, which to be honest, Claude Makélélé wasn't either. But we saw in the Champions League semi-final, Angelo Kante had a massive part to play in the first goal. So for me, he's an all-time great Premier League player, Angelo Kante. 
Phil Folding and Mason Mount were both key in their victories in their respective clubs. However, this wouldn't be the first time English prodigies have been hyped, yet failed to flatter. But with these two, it looks like it's going to be a different story. So what has changed for England in terms of youth player development, especially considering these two and other talents like Sancho and Bellingham, who have also proven key to Dortmund? Yeah, English football seems to be going in the right direction at the moment. I think there was a change in mentality, a change in structure in English football. English football has a base, St George's Park, and I think a lot of great work is being done to bring talents through. We also have brilliant academies at the Premier League clubs who are bringing talent through. And what I like is that it is a different emphasis. It's an emphasis on skills, an emphasis on passing, an emphasis on technique. And that is why great players are coming through like Mason Mount, Phil Foden, who may not be the biggest players, but have fantastic talent. So this bodes really well for English football going forward. Um, if you told me a few years ago that English football would be providing the great talents, more great talents at the moment than are coming through in Germany, I would never have believed you. But with Phil Foden, with Mason Mount coming through, there's massive hope in English football that it can be a great young generation coming through. Phil Foden in particular, I think he could go on to be one of the best players in the world. Manchester United have made it to the final of the Europa League, but with four English clubs making the UCL final, while they haven't since 2011, and with their history, they will feel like they're falling down the pecking order. Fans are already protesting against the Glazer family, but really, are the Glazers the cause of the club's downfall? Considering they have forked out fees for transfer of players like Pogba, Sanchez, Bruno Fernandes and a few others. Yeah, this goes back a long way, George. The European Super League is the straw that broke the camel's back and probably lit the blue touch paper for these protests. But this goes back a long way to when the Glazers bought the club and the way that they bought the club. Because when they took over United, the Glazer family did so with loans and hedge funds. It was a leverage takeover. Uh, so they didn't actually put their hands into their own pockets to complete the purchase. It's completely above board, completely legal, but many fans think this is bad because they pushed that debt onto Manchester United, putting the club into the red for the first time since the 1930s. And Malcolm Glazer also split the shares at the time, 100% ownership of United among his six children after passing away in 2014. And that meant that the entire Glazer family received healthy dividend payments from the club and they've done so for years and years now they've personally it's believed made around 200 million pounds off united while keeping it in debt so that's why many fans are angry it's above board it's completely legal but that has made some fans angry for other reasons they're angry there have been season ticket hikes um they would consider as well that there have been broken promises as well they say that the not has been not not enough has been done to improve Old Trafford, the stadium, which looks great on the TV, but behind the scenes is getting looking old, looking looking in disrepair. Uh, they say that there's not enough identity around the football club, which has an amazing history. They say that the the owners are distant, and that came across really in the way that the European Super League decision was made behind the fans' back. So that's why many of the United fans are upset despite on paper the fact that in the defence of the Glazer family as you say they, they have backed managers they have spent money on transfers and big players although the results haven't really been achieved on the pitch John let's talk Arsenal not in the running for any trophy at this stage nowhere near the top four 
all Europa places. Fans are calling out the owners and the coach. But tell me, how much wrong has Ateta done and should the focus rather be on the owners? Yeah, it was awful, wasn't it, for Arsenal? Really poor performance. Uh, I do feel sorry for Mikel Arteta because I think he hasn't been helped by what's happened behind the scenes. I don't think the recruitment has been great, but he also has questions to answer. I think if you talk to Arsenal fans who watch the team week in, week out, some of the decision-making by Mikel Arteta has been bizarre. Some of the tactics have been bizarre. For example, his team selection in the first leg against Villarreal wasn't great. That was a poor performance because of his team selection. So even though there are mitigating factors, even though I don't think he's been helped, Mikel Arteta has to admit that he's made mistakes. Now the question is, will they give him another another transfer window? I I hope they do because I, I feel he deserves at least another transfer window. Remember, he did win an FA Cup this time last year. And I don't think he's he's had an opportunity, has he, to really stamp his authority on the team when it comes to transfers. He had to get rid of a lot of players in January, like Mesut Ozil, before he could start bringing in players. So so this it's a massive summer. For North London, it's massive summer, isn't it? Because Tottenham have got rid of Jose Mourinho. They need a new identity. They need to bring someone in to try and keep hold of the players like Harry Kane. And Arsenal as well, they need to bring someone in if they get rid of Mikel Arteta to really build the team again because it's going to be an awful season. They're ninth in the Premier League at the moment. So if they keep Mikel Arteta or or if they bring someone in, that is a massive job at Arsenal. I hope they keep faith in Mikel Arteta. At least give him another transfer window, see how he starts next season. John, well, pending government approval, fans are set to return to the Premier League stadiums uh, for the last two match weeks of the season. What is the likelihood of government agreeing to this proposal? Yeah, it's looking likely. Final UK government approval for the return of fans will be announced no later than the 10th of May. And from 17th of May, outdoor sports venues in England are due to be allowed up to 10,000 fans or 25% capacity, whichever figure is lower. And the way that the infection rates seem to be going in the UK with the vaccine as well, things seem to be going in the right direction. Uh, no way fans are going to be able to attend those final two rounds of Premier League matches. Um, supporters, currently excluded, of course, because of the, the pandemic, are going to be allowed, to, though, to re- return in smaller numbers from the 17th of May. It is subject to that government approval, but I, I do think it's going to happen. We've had pilot events, haven't we? Uh, the Carabao Cup final at Wembley, where Manchester City played Tottenham. 2,000 fans were in attendance. The FA Cup semi-final as well had uh, a similar amount of fans for Leicester City against Southampton. So, yeah, it's looking good. I mean, it's going to be great to see the fans back, even if it's a small number. You, you really miss them. I've been to a lot of games this season, and once the game kicks off, you can kind of forget about it. But for me, the flattest moment is before the game, when the fans aren't cheering, that anticipation for the game. And, you know, you miss the reaction, the crowd reactions during the game as well. So I can't wait to see the fans back. And I know that talking to supporters here in England, that so many have missed going to watch their team. For people's mental health, it would be fantastic uh, for them to get back in the stadiums. And also, also for the spectacle on television as well, watching from around the world, saying countries like Ghana, watching it on TV is so much better when there are fans in the stadium, genuine crowd noise. Beautiful one, John Bennett on the Joy Sports BBC two-way series. Now time to check out the games to come this weekend. I told you we got some big games, including some title-deciding games, yes, in Germany and in England. Here's Joy Sports Moses
Barcelona are set to play the biggest La Liga match of their campaign this weekend as they host league leaders Atletico Madrid at the Camp Nou on Saturday. Both teams are locked in a battle for the league title at the moment and cannot afford to drop points in this fixture. Real Madrid will be looking to bounce back from Wednesday's Champions League semi-final defeat to Chelsea when they resume their La Liga campaign at home to Sevilla on Sunday. Zinedine Zidane's team will now switch their attention back to the league where they currently sit second in the table, level on 74 points with third place Barca and two points behind leaders Atletico Madrid. Borussia Dortmund entertained RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga on Saturday in a dress rehearsal for next Thursday's DFB Pokal final. Both sides still have plenty left to play for with Dortmund chasing a Champions League qualification spot and Leipzig still mathematically able to overtake league leaders Bayern Munich who was munching Glashberg. With Inter Milan clinching Italian Serie A, attention now switches to who joins them to complete the top four. From second place, Atalanta, third place Juventus and fourth place AC Milan are all locked on 69 points with four games to go. And this weekend, there could be shake-up in the top four race when Juve hosts Milan on Sunday and Parma hosts Atalanta. League A is set to go down to the wire with just a point separating the first from second with three games to the end of the season. Lille who topped the standings with 76 points will travel to Lens and high on their heels PSG play away to Rennes. And in England, Manchester City will host Chelsea on Saturday in the Premier League in a dress rehearsal for May 29 UEFA Champions League final. Elsewhere, Liverpool will host Southampton, Everton travel to West Ham, Aston Villa United and Leeds host Spurs. Thank you very much. Moses Yaboa. Live on radio, live online. This is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. We've got some 10 minutes at the end of the show. We're getting into the Ghana Premier League discussion. Before we do that, though, hey, let's check out the games that are ongoing. Those of you who are chasing live games, Newcastle lead Leicester City. Wow. By two goals to nail. Leicester City are in the battle for the top four race there and they will hope that they can finish and qualify for the Champions League. But this is not the kind of result they're looking out for. Yes, in La Liga Santander, Real Sociedad drawing goalless right now with Elche in Germany, Bundesliga. Stuttgart joined 1 1 with Oxford. Uh, that's our 62 minutes played. The, the first games I spoke about are just uh, all at halftime. Then at halftime is Lille leading Lent by two goals to what? Uh, two goals to nil. Lille would not allow this to slide. They really, really, really want to win the French League. Uh, that will be very, very, very dangerous, really, for Paris Saint Germain. You feel just almost. Uh, Wussi had goals there. These are the games that we're looking uh I mean, looking at and keeping your taps on. It's 1-1 one, one at the moment. Yes, they've got Ogbeck. I was also going to tell you about the Madrid Open and the likes. We'll see how it all goes. But now, though, it's time to switch on and talk about the Ghana Premier League. Yes. And it's a penalty. Go all the way up. Kumasi Asante. Let's go. An opportunity. Kwan Poku with a chance to draw first block. With a chance to score a goal. Kwan Poku turns around. Hits the ball. And it's been saved by Richard Ota. Over Allow the ball to roll. They came into Fatal Mohamed. It's back to Michel Sapon. Outside the penalty box of Kumasi Asante. Gonna go. Beautiful dribble. He still stays outside. He hit the bars. Back again to Fatal Mohamed. Long ball into the penalty box. Lovely touch. Man comes down. Referee goes for a penalty. Isaac Mensah lining up for this. Will this be the telling blow for Kumasi Asante? Gonna go. Razak Abalora dancing on his line. Well, the sunshine slightly going into the shade under the clouds. Can this be the time for the rainbow to appear? Isaac Mensah hits the ball. Saved by Razaka Balor. 
Okay, let's bring in Felix Fumak. He's a fantastic, fantastic guy following the Ghana Premier League. Doing very well. GhanaPremierLeagueLive.com. Felix, how are you doing? I'm doing good, George. Uh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. It's good to get you on the Ghana Premier League beat, as always. Well, I wanted to ask you three questions. I think in the end we'll just do one or two uh, per what we've gotten it. Well, Great Olympics, uh, top of the Ghana Premier League table, at least for now. Only that the Oli Bogbo are doing so well. I mean, uh, Felix, first question. How, how much or how important is this win? What does it tell us about the title credentials of Great Olympics? Who won to win this since uh, the last well, I must say that Accra Great Olympics are no more title pretenders. They are serious title contenders. And their win at Wafa today proved the point that I, 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 I am making. If you look at Great Olympics, they are fighting the title with Midiema, Asante Kotoko, Dream Chelsea, Accra Atofo, and then Carella. These are the teams that are behind Great Olympics. You ask yourself, how many of these five teams can go to Wafa and get maximum points? It will be difficult. It is a very tough ground for almost all the teams in the Premier League to go. So for Great Olympics to go and pick up three points there, it will be Fantastic. very good. I'm mm. sure that if they should end the season as league title, they will look back at that victory today and say that one of the reasons why we won the league was that three points at the Sugarcoffer Park. Good. Felix, let's end with this question because I, I need you to try and tackle it. You were close to the action. Legon Cities have pumped in a lot of money. they got new players. they got, uh, they, they've changed coaches. They've, they've done everything to motivate the, void, the boys, but they are 16th right now on the table. That is relegation. We even heard, uh, in the grapevine, they've come out to deny that, well, Bashir Hefo's job uh, wasn't safe. Look, I don't know how you can round this up in two minutes. What is wrong with Legon Cities and can they survive? They have won only two games in their last 13 Premier League games, which is very, very bad. And you look at the quality of players that they have, George. I am a bit surprised because when you have a player like Fatah Dauda, Nicolas Jan, Nicolas Mensah, you have uh, uh, Hans Kofi, Elvis of Poku, these are players with a lot of Premier League experience. And it's surprising that Bashir Ifo comes in, who is also an experienced coach in the Ghana Premier League. He has won six games, he has drawn six, and then uh, lost almost ten, of ten, ten games, which, is, which to me is very, 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 very bad. I believe that they are trying to overdo things. They are trying to tinker with the, with, with the, the players that they have. I, I was at the point thinking that at general when they are they have gotten some some players, they needed to keep them together, not to bring in different sets of players when the the window opened. When when it happens like that, you can't keep the consistency of the team. You don't know which players get to start. But uh, Bashir report is not giving us consistency in a starting eleven, and it's becoming very very difficult for even the the, the players. But all is not lost. I would love to see them stay in the league because of the quality of players that they have. And because of even their branding, they bring a lot, a lot of professionalism into the league. And I would love to see them them stay. They are mm. just six points off the ninth position, you know, because the ninth position is 30 points and they have 23 points. So it's just, it's just seven points that separate them from the ninth position. I, with a lot of games to go, we have almost about 
uh, 12 games to go and I think that they can still survive but it will be very very difficult for them Felix you've made it so succinct thank you so much absolutely brief Felix there's more to come from Felix I think on Sunday we'll hear from Felix as we go around the roundup March day 23 of the Ghana Premier League alright so let's just quickly check in the rest of the games to come yeah we've got games tomorrow games on Sunday really a big who's look there he's a supporter of Great Olympics hopefully they can get it done here's Mubarak Haruna with that wrap on the games to look forward to then Sante Kotoko are breathing down the necks of leaders Midiama Sporting Club who lead the Porcupine Warriors by just a point. Kotoko will intensify the challenge for the top spot should they ease past Dreams FC in Obuasi. Dreams FC will, however, be a hard nut to crack as they sit in fourth, eager to maintain their position. They are in a more buoyant mood after beating House of Folk last weekend. For the Phobians, it is imperative to bounce back and keep their title hopes alive when they face relegation-threatened King Faisal at the Accra Sports Stadium. The Inshallah boys are 17th in the table with 23 points, and what makes matters worse is their away form. King Faisal have won just one game on the road all season, which means they must up their game if they are to get anything against House of Folk. Medium Sporting Club seek to extend their lead at the summit but face a daunting task against Liberty Professionals, who have won four games on the bounce. Legon City's head coach Bashir Hayford has his job on the line for dropping into the relegation zone, following their 1-0 loss to Asante Kotoko. He has to mastermind a win when the Royals lock horns with Ebusian Dwarfs in Elmina. Elsewhere, Interallies have the opportunity to give themselves a glimmer of hope when they host Elmina Sharks at the Accra Sports Stadium. Allies are deeply rooted into the relegation zone after picking up 16 points from 22 games. Ediana Stars are sinking down the table as they sit in 10th with 30 points. However, the defending champions can move to the 7th position if they secure all 3 points against Brecombe Chelsea. Right above Ediana Stars is Ashanti Gold who have flattered to deceive all season. They intend to improve upon their performance when they entertain 11 wonders at the Lenclay Stadium. Another team slacking is Karela United who will host Bechem United at the Crosby Ewa Memorial Park. And it's a penalty. Go on the way of Kumasi Asante to go. An opportunity. Kwan Poku with a chance to draw first blood. With a chance to score a goal. Kwan Poku turns around, hits the ball. And it's been saved by Richard Nata. Over for Hosamou. Oh, my what? This is the kind of drama we're looking for. And how well this has started. Allow the ball to roll. The came to Fatal Mohammed. It's back to Michel Sapon. Outside the penalty box of Kumasi Asante to go. Beautiful dribble. He still stays outside. He hit the pass. Back again to Fatal Mohammed. Long ball into the penalty box. All right, so we look forward to it. There's more to come in terms of commentary of the Ghana Premier League. Okay, you're chasing the updates. I'm already open. Quite a number of games have been played. Okay, we're just with Matteo Berrettini right now. And uh, Christian Gunn, well, Matteo Berrettini is struggling at the moment. He has to quickly come back because uh, Christian is up by set and it's 3 all in the second one. It's live on our screens right now and we're keeping a look at that one. That's it for the locker room. We are back. Next week, Friday, with another lovely edition of the show. Enjoy everything that we've got. Uh, yeah, we are on uh, the Sports Link tomorrow. That's on Joy FM. And then on the Sports Review, on Joy News. And the-